KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You're tuned in to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the PA host, the KUCI station, its management, or the California Board of Regents. Welcome to Ask a Leader. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba. Welcome you to the October 2nd, 2012 edition of Ask a Leader, now in full swing of uh, my electoral coverage. Our first guest will be Carolyn Inman, a candidate for the Irvine Unified School District. We heard from two last week. We're going to hear from one more now of the uh, the nine that are running. After that, we'll hear from Neil Kelly, the Orange County Director of that's the uh, board of, or the Registrar of Voters, and finally from City Council candidate Gavin Huntley Fenner to talk about what. Uh, he envisions is going to be uh, an important role new city council members have with the Great Park decisions and some of the other issues that ail in Bovine, the city of Irvine. We'll be right back after a station break. Don't go away. I really want you to stay with me today. Take care. everybody. We have a prince of a guest number three who's made himself available earlier and goodness knows he has juggled so many things, juggling them once more for us today. We have Gavin Huntley Fenner on as our first guest, originally planned as a third. So I'm going to welcome him on the show. First, I want to say a few words about Gavin Huntley Fenner. He is actually a repatriated um, uh a citizen from Guyana uh, in South America, and he come, that's he removed here in 1977. We talked about that on an earlier appearance he made on Ask a Leader. Now Gavin and his wife and his two children, they are residents of almost two decades here in Irvine with all kinds of contributions. Now we're, we're going to focus in on what he's been doing with the um, his now his third term that he's serving on the uh, Irvine Unified School Board, and he is now running for the one of three open seats on the Irvine City Council. He, is, along with his wife, have their own firm in the, um, I'm going to look quickly, I've been flying through my notes here, with their own firm in the uh, Cognitive Science Consulting. Gavin, I'm looking for that one. I'm just, I, it's called the Huntley Fenner Associates, providing scientific advisory services regarding human capabilities and behavior related to the safe and effective use of products. So, Gavin Huntley Fenner, welcome back to Ask a Leader. Thank you very much, Claudia. I'm, I'm happy to be there, be here on your show. Well, it's good we get to cover all the things that we can. I think we've got plenty of time to do it. Uh, we, as a, um, I wanted to take up first that. Uh, you are, uh, as a council member, tell us briefly how your school board bias would reflect on the city's budget priorities, Gavin. 
Um, absolutely, but before I start, just one minor correction. Oh, please. It's been misreported this, this way as well. I actually was a citizen of the United Kingdom. Okay. I was born in England, um, but then moved to Guyana when I was very young, and um, and then emigrated to the United States in the 70s. Um, and uh, so, anyway, the, you're absolutely right about my becoming a citizen, and we, we talked all about that uh, in On the, the previous the show. primary election was the the day. So, so right. thank you for that correction. It's a, and um, it's not a geography list. We know where all those places are, but we now we know where you were in those places. So back to, let's take up uh, what you as a council member would do with your school board uh, experience and a bit of a bias. I, uh, Irvine certainly has played a bit of a role in some of the school finance, the school finance that keeps opening up, but what would you be doing with that opportunity or liability or both? Well, well, I think it's an opportunity, first of all. There are a number of issues uh, that I would point to, but very briefly, I'll say that the, you can think about the city budget as having um, two major parts. I mean, one having to do with operations, and then the other having to do with um, facilities and, and, and sort of capital um, spending. And just on the operations side, compared with the school district, I think people should know that the school district budget uh, is actually larger than the city's budget. Um, when we have uh, There's uh, more, more employees. double the number of employees. Right. So it's a, it's, in a way, it's a more complicated animal, um, but it is not the same animal. There, there are some differences, um, important differences. Uh, the city gets most of its revenue from uh, property tax and sales tax. It's about a third and a third. And then um, the remaining third is from assorted sources, including fees and other things. Um, now, the, the, uh, one of the major things we've had to deal with as, as a school board over the last um, seven or eight years since I've been involved is um, equalization. Um, that is, making sure that tax dollars that flow out of Irvine come back to Irvine in a fair and equitable equitable proportion. And, and we worked very hard, long and hard in Sacramento to, to solve that problem and, and um, made huge uh, strides in the 2003-2004 um, time frame, mainly due to lobbying efforts and, and um, uh, the fantastic parents and, and, others, and their staff um, in the district. The city also has an equal... Um, uh, equalization sort of problem. Namely, I mean, one example is in um, fire services. So the the city spends about um, it gives about twenty million dollars, eighteen million dollars more than it gets back in terms of the services from the um, Orange County Fire Authority, and that's that's a well-known issue. It's a thorny problem that folks have been working on for a long time. But I think I'm well equipped to handle that kind of issue. The, the other is how to, make, uh, how to manage a budget in a time of declining or fluctuating revenues, how to do it in a way that's sensitive to people's expectations in terms of quality of service, how to get the buy-in of the public um, to make significant changes in the budget. Uh, I've been a leader on the school board um, in doing those things, and, and um, part of why I've been effective is because I, I go out, communicate to people, um, get buy-in from the public, get input from the, the from the community, and uh, I think we, have a, as a school board, have been very, very effective there. Um, a great case in point, a specific example, when I was 
on the school board. Um, when, when I was sworn into the school board, the teachers of Irvine were um, on the verge of what's called impasse. The negotiations had right. um, gotten to a point where people were holding signs and wearing black T-shirts. And In fact, the night I was sworn in um, at that board meeting, the teachers were there protesting. Uh, switch now to seven years. Hence, we've come through an even more difficult financial um, crisis. Uh, we've had to cut teacher salaries. Um, there have been furlough days, for example. Um, we've had no growth um, years, and we've been able. But we've been able to do it um, with the cooperation of the union. Our, I would say our relationship with teachers. Now, having gone through this, these difficult times, is stronger, much stronger than it was um, seven years ago. Um, you know, and I, and I think I've been a, an important part of building that relationship. Uh, we can talk in more detail about that if, if you like. Well, we, we've got lots of city business to cover, too. But I guess uh, it certainly, I don't know when we last had a school board uh, member uh, transition into a city council position, but I think that that is a it certainly is a, a, a satisfying a, a qualification to uh, to match your familiarity with us. It's it's this precise same jurisdiction, is it not? With the exception it's, of maybe a part of like Beckman High School or something like that. It's yeah, it's largely overlapping, about ninety percent. So um, that that gets you uh, pretty familiar with your constituents. And it enables you, I see where uh, other council members are joining on a slate, and you're uh, campaigning uh, on your entire own. So that, that makes for some other uh, campaign logistics and, uh, I, where you have to really tap into your, the constituency you've built up around your service to the school board. So let's talk about then the, um, those immediate city council issues that are cropping up. And I've, I've heard in a previous forums, you had a lot to say about the great parks, um, looming decisions. We're at the precipice of defining what that amenity is going to be looking like and how it's uh, largely in relationship to what kind of housing starts we're seeing with the heritage uh, um, development there. Would you, Gavin, tell us um, what you see, um, talk about the the great parks uh, the dynamics in play with the um the um i'm let me shuffle my uh notes here um we've got revenues are declining in terms of the um the the redevelopment funding housing starts are slow uh, the we've got a developer who wants to to get a move on with starting to sell units and with very specific ideas about what goes into the ground in the great park how are you reconciling long term and short term needs at the development order phase that we're facing right now well it's a, it's a great way to frame the question uh, i think in the short term the the challenges are um interestingly they're a little bit less um uh transparent in the long term there we're pretty much unified on the vision for the park it's going to be something that the residents of irvine are proud of um, that maintains the quality of life the amenities the access to open space and that furthers this sort of general um, 
vision, if you if you will, for the Irvine Ranch that was laid down um, 40 years ago. And and so the long-term piece is something I think where a lot of folks can agree. In the short term, though, there are some challenges, and, and in particular, you pointed out uh, that that we've lost some RDA money. That was a one point four redevelopment agency for those redevelopment agency money, a one point four billion dollar wow um, hit to the the city. Of course, the there are other sources of revenue, and and the question is really how does the city is looking at um, building amenities and park space on over a thousand acres of of land and the question is how do you build that who pays for it and how do you maintain it over time and that's where you you've made some very interesting observations about there's three i guess there that the great park would make for three different kinds of open space uh, responsibilities there's the municipally managed open space there's the the Homeowners Association managed open space, and then this new uh, scheme here, schematic, there would be the Great Park uh, managed, which might be a combination of Great Park, Homeowners Association, and uh, a municipal management. Is that what would happen there? Well, well, I, I, it's hard to say exactly what the, the sort of governance configuration And that's what's being negotiated be. my, Yeah, but my perception is that there's going to be... Um, Certainly, green spaces that are embedded within neighborhoods um, that are controlled by the homeowners um, association, and those will, you know, likely sort of be networked, you know, the way we have in the rest of Irvine. And then, of course, you've got adjacent to all of them the Great Park, which is, there's a, a Great Park Corporation and government governing board um, that oversees that. The expectation is that. Um, there will be some money flowing um, concurrent with the development of homes in the vicinity of the park that will help to um, pay for amenities and ongoing maintenance so operations and maintenance developers, of the parkland itself. Developers' fees and Melorus funds will be there. That's what you're talking. Are, are there other funds? Yes. Yeah, so essentially, developer fees and tax. Um, uh, uh, and 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 uh, and then other financing. Other financing. What can you can you lay that out? Or uh, other so, than Melrose? Well, it, you know the the bottom line is that um, there's been a there's a proposal that's been sunshine recently where um, we're looking at potentially a four hundred million dollar plus. I think it's four hundred thirty million dollars um, that includes some money up front and some ongoing dollars. That will go towards building amenities, ball fields, um, uh, community centers, uh, sports facilities, etc. And that's municipal money. That that would county. Um, that would likely come through the developer, and and the financing of that is still being worked on. Okay. Um, and that money would potentially be available to contribute to the operations, ongoing operations and maintenance. And this is an issue that's still being um, uh, uh, negotiated on the city side. And we're not really privy to the details of those negotiations at this point. Well, that's an interesting point we uh, want to make because it uh, privy, it's because of the, uh, I think, uh, the 
it's incumbent of the public officer, the public official, to leverage the most they can for the community. And uh, But there is also transparency that the community knows when uh, to uh, make its the the communities, various, various elements of the community's interests known. So it's a, a, and what you would bring to that kind of added transparency and efficiency, uh, effectiveness of delicately negotiating behind the scenes, that's going to be a big job for you. And I, and you mentioned the, the board for the Great Park, that uh, most of the city council members for uh, Irvine do serve on. We've got four city council members serving on the board right now. So when you run for city council, you're running for the Great Park board as well. Well, yes, the City Council uh, of Irvine forms a majority of those board members. And I, I guess I should point out that on the school district side, we just negotiated a $1.2 billion deal uh, to finance um, building of new schools and maintenance of schools um, in the northern, with the, with the Irvine Company. The northern tier? In, in um, the northern sphere of Irvine and other parts of, of the city. So we, and, and part of the deal there was to make sure that we had, A, enough money to build, and B, enough uh, money to maintain and retrofit, for example, do earthquake-related um, retrofitting um, well into um, the next uh, couple of few decades. So we're, as a school district, we are, um, we've successfully negotiated um, these kinds of deals. We've also done it with the uh, with Five Point communities. So we have um, put together a mitigation agreement. So as they build homes in the Great Park, we make we want to make sure that those schools, that those those homeowners have schools, neighborhood schools that their children can attend. And in fact, this is one of the reasons I think it's important to have someone with an education background and from the school board um, uh, who understands. Uh, school district financing to work with uh, on the city council with developers because there's many there are many things that are going to uh, have to be worked out uh, where the city will have an influence on on uh, what the final picture looks like with respect to where those schools go in when those schools go in um, etc well you know and because it, there is an overlap with uh, negotiating for the the school district and negotiating uh, on behalf of the city, are you seeing um, a difference in the level in which the Irvine Company is uh, is making their their interest in weighing in and showing their influence in the decisions that you've seen in both of those municipal and school arenas? Um, it's well, tilting it's, toward the five-point communities when you're talking about the Great Park. But uh, are you seeing any change, or is that just it's, it is the way it's always been with the Irvine Company, negotiating location, terms, and all kinds of other things? Well, it, um, well I have to say, I mean, we, the, the school district does have a longstanding relationship with the Irvine Company. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we continue to really press them to make sure that, that there's sufficient mitigation, um, and that, that relationship, I think the collaborative relationship that we've developed over many, many, many years helps um, uh, during some of the more difficult negotiations, and we have had, even in recent years, difficult uh, negotiations, but we've managed to work them out. I think similarly with um, five-point communities, we, we managed to come to a mitigation agreement, which um, by and large is really poised to be a very successful joint um, 
venture. The, the challenge is, of course, that they're two very different entities, you know, in terms of um, uh, whether, where their financing comes from and what their vested interest is in the city and, and of course, just the history of the relationship. Right. I, I have, um, it's been a priority of mine to really make sure that we have a close working relationship with the major developers um, because I, I think that, um, you know, no matter what happens, uh, we want to make sure that they understand our interest in making sure that the schools uh, in Irvine remain top-notch. And, and we don't want to compromise um, what we've worked so hard to build over the last 30 or 40 years. And I think they get that. Everybody gets it. You know, if you're going to build in Irvine and you want, you want your local public schools to be Irvine quality. But um, communicating that and building the relationships where those communications are heard, that's a huge priority of mine. So... Um it's. I mean, it is. It is a different relationship. I think that the Irvine company. It's. It's been locally operating, and so it has a little bit more of a, um, let's say, a different kind of an accountability in the negotiations, and and one that's based. I, I mean, five points based in various nodes. I, there's West Coast nodes, and then there's the Miami, I guess, uh, uh, sort of financial center. So it's. It has been a different relationship, but I guess. But um, you've had. You've been privy to seeing these dynamics and probably very well equipped uh, at the at the risk of me sounding obsequiousness and goodness forbid I would do that that um, that you can see where you can see where things are going in these nego- negotiations and uh, I think leverage you might have a different kind of ability to leverage uh, some outcomes than uh, those who are coming new to the whole scene there so um, now uh, You've talked. We've talked about there are different constituencies with the open space use, and so you were talking that there's a few uh, municipal residents who's uh, who are reliant on the city directly for maintenance of their open space. And what percentage of that is that over all of the city? Just so people have an idea that it's there really is an interesting kind of dimension of of where we play and who's who's cleaning up after us. Well, there, I, I guess there's a there's a it's a small it's a small proportion of Irvine residents, and I, I don't know their their percentage. But okay, most, a small one, and that, but the largest yeah, think, one is the homeowners association. Right, I think the the big the big sort of picture issue here, and which may relate to the Great Park. Yes, is that the the city historically has enjoyed um, a relatively small proportion of city owned. Um, parks, if you will, relative to homeowner-owned um, and maintained um, park and playground facilities, and uh, the and, and the Great Park really shifts that balance, um, which which means that that you know where you've got a thousand acres that that will be controlled by the Great Park Corporation, um, that entity within the city of Irvine. Um, has a pretty significant responsibility that's, I think, somewhat unprecedented. I mean, this is yes. going to be the, the largest municipal park west of the Mississippi, as I think I think it was referred to as one at one point. Um, I think that's still true. So that that I mean, clearly, it's a substantial undertaking, um, a shift in in the way things have have um, worked in Irvine. Which just ups the ante for the right. negotiations. It exactly, just means that you need to be um, 
sort of cognizant of of some of the downside risks that you may not have appreciated in previous uh, conversations. And those discussions, those are there are plenty of opportunities opening up right now, uh, prior to the election, for the public to watch. But do you do you envision that the pivotal decisions for the Great Park are they going to be made after the election for city council members? That that is unclear. Um, I I don't gamble, uh, so I really would hesitate to to sort of publicly lay a bet. Um, no, we don't have to lay a bet, but yeah. that for the public to know first in terms of the rhythm and decision pub, uh, policy making, and uh, and you know what, know when the stakes are really being uh, hashed out here, as well as are, are we speaking to a a prospective city council member who will have uh, opportunity to leverage more from Five Point and uh, other participants in those decisions. Absolutely. There, there's still going to be a lot of work to be done. I mentioned the mitigation agreement. Right. And when you t- um, talk about mitigation, example, Gavin, can you unpackage what we're mitigating? Oh, it means that if you're going to build homes in Irvine and those homes will generate students, um, for example, mitigating the school district, is, this is what I'm talking about. Right. So those homes generate students. We need to make sure that there's enough capacity within the existing system to accommodate those students. And developers pay um, to enhance the capacity or to mitigate the um, impact of those additional uh, students. So, so that what I mean to say is that you know we're still going to have to build a fifth high school somewhere in the vicinity of the Great Park. That's right. A, um, you know, two to three hundred million dollar undertaking. Um, at least. It's a massive um, project. We're go- we're looking at multiple schools. We're still going to have to. Um, the development will unfold over a series of um, uh, phases, if you will, and each of those has a process associated with them. So even if you know the big pieces are in place um, by the time of the election, the it's going to be incumbent on whoever's in the city on the city council that they understand deeply the process, how things have worked traditionally in Irvine, um, and uh, that they have the relationships necessary to, to really make, be effective. I'm going to quickly ask one question. It's a, it's a zinger here, and then I, I have a, a, um, a sort of an infrastructure question to, um, to, to conclude the interview. But do Emil Haddad, uh, uh, the, um, the five-point CEO, and uh, Donald Brand, CEO of the Irvine Company, do, they, do you know much about how those two uh, interact with each other? Um, is like I, know, I can't. I know I can't really s- to speak to that to their personal relationship at all. Oh, I just I just wondered if there is a any kind of a relationship or if there's an imprinting on uh, sort of how legacy uh, matters in terms of uh, municipal decisions that developers are negotiating. So I I just wanted. Well, well I can't speak to that. I, yes, I think please do. I, yeah, I think that um, my perception is you know having met. Um, both of these gentlemen, um, and that, and, and having observed their behavior, um, that it's really important. Like the legacy, you know, the big L legacy <laughs> is very important to both of them. And, uh, you know, I think it's very important to, and that, that's encouraging to me as a prospective city council member because that, I'm thinking about what Irvine will be like 10 years or 20 years from now and, and, 
ensuring that we 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 um, hold on to the best um, qualities of our wonderful city. So that that's that's a connection point that that I think they they both um, share. And there's serves and, and I beg your pardon. We for those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Gavin Huntley Fenner, candidate for Irvine City Council, and we're talking about all of the uh, the high stakes uh, that the city council faces uh, in the upcoming uh, seasons. And so, um, one thing, the other question I wanted to raise is um, I was recently polled over the telephone about uh, the city council race, and miraculously, I sensed uh, that there was much in it, as much in it for me as it was for the uh, the phone surveyor. So to the question, what did I think ailed in this fair city? I mentioned transit alternatives. So Gavin, have you given much thought as to how a range of transit choices might just not just improve efficiency, but also the quality of life in this sprawled suburban setting? I, I've given a lot of thought to it. In, in fact, um, very early on when I was thinking about running, I asked um, Marlon Bournette, who is a former UCI professor now. He's a professor of urban planning at USC. With a transit, a transportation emphasis. Yeah, he's an expert, <laughs> as you know, in this area. And, um, and Marlon and I have had conversations about this, um, and other people actually at UCI and I have had conversations about this going back, oh, probably a good 10 or 15 years. So the, as you know, there have been various issues that have come before the voters in that time frame. Right. The, the, you know, the, 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 the picture right now is a little bit, well, somewhat concerning. Um, you know, there, there have been some recent wins, I would say, if you look in particular at, at OCTA's financing of uh, some parts of the ice shuttle program. Mayor Kang um, really worked hard to make that happen um, with his colleagues, but there I think that the, the bottom line is what I – transit issues in Irvine are going to intensify, particularly as we continue to develop um, the outlying areas of the city. Uh, we're, we're going to have to, to think long and hard about how traffic moves throughout the city because there, there's some places where it's not working very well. And, and, and I've heard from the voters that there's some – you know, a number of places where there's significant concerns, both in terms of safety and then in terms of just convenience and quality of traffic movement. Um, but the 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 bottom line for Irvine is transit is a regional issue. Okay, good point. And and Irvine, I I would say, punches under its weight when it comes to county level. Transportation. It's OCTA share. Uh huh. Yeah, and we're we, you know by any right we should ser- be serving on the on the the OCTA um, board, and we, you know we're not um, uh, directly represented there. So I think that that's something. Really. That I would like to see change going forward. That, that Irvine is a much more vigorous and collaborative participant. Um, we're, we're starting to see some of it happen, but. Um, but, you know, there, there are some challenges, I think. You just have to look at the Irvine Business Complex, and we were sued by Newport Beach, and we're being um, – there, there's some concerns raised by from Laguna Beach about the development um, in the Great Park and what it means for traffic heading into Laguna Beach. So there, those are all concerns that, that are regional in nature, 
um, I, I think we, we need to have a city council who, which is collaborative and really vigorous in um, working with other local partners in um, furthering Irvine's interest and, the, frankly, the region's interest in better transportation. And I, you know, I, I see that every time I get close to a school at the, uh, the, at the start of school or the end of school, and the, I see it there, and I see, when I see boredom seeping into every being of uh, an adolescent and a teenager, and I think, man, that transit, a transit alternative, they, these people could hop on a, a nice a bus shuttle. They could, um, if incentives were made for people, to start doubling up on cars. And there's all sorts of little nano things that, uh, not, I mean, short of getting OCTA board membership to be responsive to, um, you know, this sort of suburban uh, subset of the whole county. So I, um, I, I, I would love to be a, a, a part of some of those discussions to, to try to create incentives around here that um, will make things more livable and more efficient and clean up from, you know, all the dieseling that goes on when people are all bringing one child to school, <laughs> something like that. So Right. Well, you know, and the big piece of it is perception of safety. I mean, I, our kids <sighs> ride their bikes or walk to school, but there are a lot of parents who are uncomfortable having their children walk. I mean, some of them are even parents of older children. Our children happen to be a little bit older. So, that you know, I think the city can go a long way towards helping to foster a perception of safety. Um, the, the, the walk to school day um, program is, a, is one small part, I think, of a broader um, solution, just encouraging more people to, um, to consider walking or riding their bike and then, and then convincing them that it's safe to do so. I think that's going to take a little bit of work. A lot of work. Um, a lot of incentives well, lot tucked of everywhere. Okay. I admit a lot, a lot of work. And, and it's going to require getting out into the community and talking to voters one-on-one. Well, Gavin Huntley-Fenner, you have uh, so little time to uh, to share with just one little radio show, and you gave us a lot this morning. Thank you for being on the show, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing what more candidates have to say. But you've certainly improved my literacy, and I imagine the listeners. Thank you for being on the show today. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Well, that was great. We're going to uh, take a moment and queue up for um, with uh, Neil Kelly, the director of Orange County Board of Registrars. If you'll just stay with me, we'll be right back after the shortest break I can possibly muster. Take care, all. Thank you, everybody, for staying with us. We are fortunate to have now as our final guest, Neil Kelly, the director of the Orange County Board of Registrars. Today, uh, we're going to, we've already talked a little bit about some of the deadlines. We might brush over a few more of those uh, to check in today with the general ballot and the processes right up to the last moment. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Neil Kelly. Thank you, Claudia, for having me. Glad to be here. And so what we'll do is we'll go right into the, the pertinent information that we'll talk about in terms of deadlines and uh, features within those deadlines. It's on the website at ocvote.com. 
com. I'll mention it again. Um, but what we'll first talk about, and, and the, there aren't as many minutes left as I'd hoped, uh, there are so many things that Governor Brown signed in within the last days and within the last week or so. Let's talk about the same-day voter registration, giving Californians the right to vote with a provisional ballot if it's um, you know deemed effective. Tell us what's uh, in play with that, how that's going to work. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's something the legislature has been toying with for several years now. But something that's very important for voters is that will not be in effect until after 2015. Oh. So for this upcoming November election, same-day registration will not be allowed. Okay. So uh, what, what's happening is is that the statewide voter database has to be put in place by California first. Right. And then when that's done, you have same-day registration. Okay. So 2015. So that will be... Well, who knows if that's a special election that year, or that's January 2015? Well, it's right or after the they go live with that database, and that's kind of the, the estimate right now is, is the first part of 2015. Okay, very good. Well, then we have, uh, let's see, there's a reminder I want to say that um, uh, that it was last year when Governor Brown signed in, uh, that was the Senate Bill 397, allowing Californians to register to vote online. How is that working? It's actually doing great. Uh, we went live, what, about a week and a half ago or so, and uh, so far to date in Orange County, as of this morning, we have over 12,000 people that have registered online. And is it, oh, that's the county, so is there a, you can see where the distributed, are there a lot of them right around UCI during a regist- uh, their uh, orientation, or is it They're, just evenly distributed around the county? Well, it's pretty much evenly distributed, but we do see a cluster around UCI, and that's always encouraging. It, well, it is, because I've seen such horrid turnouts at previous elections, so I, I'm encouraged to know that the, there, there's some activity bumbling, bubbling up there. Yes. Uh, there's some campaign disclosure ones. I, it, it, uh, it does affect us in terms of uh, letting the public know who's supporting whom. Uh, that was, when does that become uh, in, uh, come in effect, uh, Assembly Bill 481? So 481 is in effect, and, you know, um, we have our first campaign disclosure statements that are due October 5th for this cycle, and uh, we have all of that online so people can go online to our website and see all of those disclosure statements. Okay, and so and on ocvote.com there will be a section to click on, and that's really clear then for disclosures, or is it about candidates that we click on? No, it's, it's about both. So if you go to the, the voting section at the top, just hover over that, you can see campaign finance info, and it'll give you all the details. Wow. Any surprises for you? I'm nope. just Okay. okay. <laughs> Not right now. Not yet. Oh, oh, that's right. They're they're coming. Yeah. And then the final disclosure for this election cycle will be what time? It'll be in uh, it'll be well after the actual election, correct? Yes. Now that that will be after it's in January and I don't have the date right off the top of my head, Claudia, but it is the it's first after. year. So that's that's the one that might be the most interesting and revealing, and that's always the one that's after the election. Right, but, exactly. But we'll we'll keep that in mind. We'll we'll wave that around uh, under people's noses and all that later. Then there's the uh, the county boards of education members. I don't know if that's something we really need to focus on. Is there something salient about that you want to make sure we talk about? Or we move right on. Yeah, I have nothing there for you. Okay, then we have the vote by mail ballots. Uh, that. Uh, Assembly Bill 2080, uh, is that going into effect, That pr- those provisions? No. Now, there's a couple of bills that were vetoed by the governor um, related to allowing vote-by-mails to be mailed after Election Day. Oh. And that is not going to take place this coming election. Okay. So the- that's going to be happening again probably next year. Next year, the yeah. next cycle. So it's important that voters understand they have to have that vote-by-mail ballot 
into our office or a polling place by 8 p.m. On November 6th. And November I did. 6th. I went when I was trying to dial around, get some other guests up, uh, went over some of the deadlines, but uh, there might there's a couple I would like to get to and unpack. So then we have... Uh, the Political Reform Act of the, um, 1974, some, the, uh, the Committee on Elections and Redistricting had a bill, to, uh, Assembly Bill 2691, online and electronic filing. Is there anything in that we need to know about? No, that really falls under the FPPC uh, and the Fair Political Practice, Practices Commission, and that's really not my purview, so I'd leave it to the FPPC. Okay, okay, fine. And so... Uh, the voters' registration agencies, the Senate Bill 35, is there something in that that affects the voters themselves? Well, it does. And, and SB 35, uh, as you know, was signed by the governor. And that's, I think, a positive thing because that expands where you have voter registration forms and it expands the agencies that are required to hand them out when they have interactions with citizens. So I think it's a good thing. It's going to enfranchise more voters. And so I used to tell people they could always find them at a bank, a post office, and a school site. So where does the expansion of where these forms are left behind? Well, they're going to expand in healthcare industry. Uh, there's going to be expansion Hospitals? in social services. Uh, there's going to be expansion, I think, beyond what you're seeing in the standard distribution in post offices and libraries and those kinds of things. Okay. The more, the better. Yeah. The more, the better. Well, uh, for those of you who just joined us, we're talking with Neil Kelly, director of the Orange County Registrar of Voters, in the lead-up to the 2012 uh, general election. Uh, we talked about um, those voters registering after October 8th will not be mailed a sample ballot. But the sample ballots, I haven't, we've gotten the uh, statewide uh, pamphlet, but when am I going, what date are those um the pamphlets getting mailed out. So we mailed all of ours right on the first day we were allowed, which was Thursday the 27th last week and okay. Friday. So you should be getting them, you know, any day. I mean, Starting the, today, maybe. Yeah, it looks like the majority, based on our call volume, has hit across the county. So any day. Okay. And in what languages? I just got to throw that out so people can appreciate just how heterogeneous we are here in Orange County. About at least four or five languages this we have, time? We have a diverse community for sure, and it'll be five languages we're, we're translating. And the provisional ballots, what languages are they in? Provisional ballots are translated in all of the languages that we support, which are Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese, and Spanish. And we've consolidated it all into one envelope now, so all the translation is on the back. Okay. All right. And then we have, um, uh, I'm, I want, if you could explain, some people, I've, I've heard explanations, but I don't think it's, it's uh, fanned out enough. The Proposition 40 in the pamphlet has no counter-argument, and that was a sort of a, a little bit of a hiccup in the legislative process. Can you just post us so we know what uh, what's all that about with Prop 40? Well, Claudia, I would love to inform you on Prop 40, but, you know, that's that's the Secretary of State, and right. um, the Secretary of State governs those those arguments for Prop 40. Well, I think what happened was that there it's there it was some a legislative matter that hadn't been finished, and they put it on there. Nobody nobody opposed it. it was a, it was a sort of a so anyway. I I guess I'm not putting you in a position of a, it, it's a process question, not a policy. Yeah, question. Yeah, no, and so. I appreciate the question. It, it's just something I direct to the Secretary of State. All right. Well, I'm not sure you'll have a chance to be with us. <laughs> so are there more polling places added since the primary? It's going to be close, uh, about the same, and the reason for that is is that if you go back four years ago, we had about 340,000 permanent vote-by-mail voters in Orange County. That's now doubled. Wow. And because it's doubled, you don't have to have as many polling places around the county. Okay. Uh, so we're going to be right around 1,200 for November. 
All right. And then, um, again, I want to, since we, we've mentioned this before, but uh, give everybody a chance to know where the remedies are and how. Where do voters turn when there is a meltdown at their voting place, their voting station? Well, we're planning for no meltdowns. So, uh, and we've, we've had, you know, 30 successful elections here in Orange County. But I will tell you, if there's a situation where, you know, they just don't feel it's going correctly or, or they're mistreated, um, they can always call our office and we will respond. Now, I just want to remind people and, and, and keep this in mind that everybody out there in, in polling places, they're all volunteers. Right. And they're doing a good job overall. We have some really good, strong volunteers. But they are volunteers. So um, sometimes we have some people that, that do some things that, that we need to react to or, or, or respond to, and we, and we do that. So um, you said they call your office. What number are you willing to give us for, to call if there is? If, and if they have the number, Neil yep. Kelly, they won't need they won't need it. Absolutely. <laughs> On election day, it's 714-567-7600. Yes. And, and that will get them right to a live operator. They won't have to go through a machine. How reassuring. Yeah. That's great. Well, I don't think we have any more time left. I'm glad that you could join us. Thank you, Neil Kelly, the Orange County Director of the Voter uh, Registrar of Voters. And uh, I'm for uh, all of our sake, I wish you a smooth November 6, 2012. Thank you so much, Claudia. Glad Thank you for your service. Take care. Okay. Well, we're going to be back next week with more electoral coverage. I uh, want to um, mention um, we have uh, a favorite area and a favorite um, a journalist of mine. It's going to be Greg Pallast, an internationally known journalist, and he is, folks, a true muckraker to talk about voter suppression and other electoral contortions that persist in this democracy. I can't wait to hear what you think of him. And uh, then besides that, we'll, um, we have some more coverage, but uh, that is yet to be determined. So I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, George Rosales is up next on George Had a Hat. And uh, you missed any of this election coverage or the uh, upcoming, you can always uh, reach, uh, find them at the KUCI.org forward slash podcasts or uh, and reach me at cshambaugh at KUCI.org for some suggestions about content. Glad to have you with us. See you next week. Thanks so much. Thank <laughs> you.